These days we watch Christmas movies. Who loves our Christmas movies? Yes, I started watching Christmas with the Cranks in the summertime. Yes, favorite movie? Yeah, I see, yeah. I've been judged by my family, but Christmas, you gotta bring on those Christmas movies. So Home Alone, right? Home Alone where the boy's family leaves this child at home. Home Alone for the holidays, and this mom panics hugely and her biggest desire is to get home for Christmas because her son is left alone poor little boy at home need to go to him she tries to get on the plane can't get on that flight and then in the Christmas spirit she jumped in the back of a truck with a bunch of guys in a band and in the Christmas spirit made it home or there's the old school movie home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas in my generation JTT Biggest crush, poster on my wall, was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and his scenario in his movie that he had was that he was a college student, and he was not going to go home for Christmas. It was not the thing to do until his dad says, if you come home for Christmas and be here by midnight, you get that car. Well, he needs to get home for Christmas. And so as he struggles his way to get home, he dealt with relationship situations. He ended up in the desert in a Santa, who, Santa suit and the beard glued to his face and basically being eaten by vultures. And he had to get home for Christmas for that car. No spoilers. I won't tell you what happened if you want to watch it. There is something about being home for Christmas, whether it's trying to get someone home, Right? or you're trying to get home. There's something about home and Christmas that comes together. In the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about the first Christmas and how no one was actually home for Christmas. The shepherds were working, the wise men were traveling, Mary and Joseph were in a barn, but the story that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, that everyone was waiting and hoping for was born and they were all drawn to him. They were all drawn to him. This Christmas, we want to say, come home for Christmas. That Jesus has his door open, the coffee's brewing, the tea is steeping, the chips and dip are on the TV trays, and he says, come as you are. During this time of year, it's normal to see businesses selling their products, right? You, got, you, you go to the stores, and it's sales everywhere, and Black Friday's happening, and then you see the advent calendars, the Christmas chocolate advent calendars. You got the advent colors for socks. You got them for ties. You got them for teas and coffee and scrunchies for your hair and nail polish. Advent is just the thing you do in the culture these days. Wherever you go, you will see an advent calendar for these businesses. And the point of the advent calendar that they're selling to you is that you buy their product and you get either 12, 24, or 25 gifts. And these gifts you start to open up on December 1st, and it leads it all the way to the anticipation of Christmas, right? As a family, Brad and I, we participate in Advent, a family Advent, very similar to what the church just put together. And we curate uh, activities and little things that we put in these little bags, and we open December 1st in anticipation that Christmas is coming and yes, the gifts are really exciting, right? We know that. But the anticipation that Jesus was born on Christmas morning, and that's what Advent actually is. So many participate in these things 
in the stores, we buy this product, but they do not understand the actual meaning of Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. It means a period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. It's not just Advent out at Starbucks or at the dollar store. There is actual meaning behind it. Each Sunday for the Home for Christmas series, we're going to have a candlelit. So over here, we have our Advent candles. And today is hope. Hope. Hope for Christmas. Hope for Jesus. And I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much that you brought hope. God, and we, we are going to unravel that today, Jesus. But I just ask that you speak your words clearly today, God. And you touch the heart of everyone here. The sense of hope that there is hope, not a wish, but a hope, that there is a realization that you are real, that you are true, and you are here today. So Jesus, we give you this word, and I just ask that you speak the message of hope today. In your name, amen. The story of Christmas doesn't begin on December 25th. It doesn't begin when the Christmas lights get on your house or when the Christmas sales happen at the mall. It doesn't even begin with the manger. The story of Christmas or the hope of Christmas begins at the very beginning because Christmas is about God loving us, about God giving us the most incredible gift. God created the earth and people. He created the first home, a home of love, a home of peace, a home of joy, a home that God created for all of us to belong to. It would be really hard to imagine to be the very first human on earth, right? It's so busy. Everywhere we go, there's people and it's busy. Imagine being Adam, the very first person. And before God created Eve, he already gave Adam complete freedom in the garden with responsibility to take care of it. But there was one tree that was off limits, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam would have told Eve all the rules of the garden, but in the moment, there was temptation. And both Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate from the tree that was off limits to touch and eat from. In that moment, a small rebellion, something large, something beautiful, something free, was shattered. God's perfect creation of home. The home is now no longer Adam and Eve were separated from God by their desire to act on their own, a rebellion. In the case of their sin, however, God already had a plan, a plan in motion to overcome the effects of the rebellion. It kind of sounds like Star Wars, the rebellion. The entire Bible is the story of how the plan unfolds, ultimately leading to God's own visit to earth through his son, Jesus. Our sinful nature proves that we are descendants of Adam but it also proves that God's redemptive love is for all of us. The plan unfolds when God re responds to the serpent. And we're going to start in Genesis 3, verse 15. And it says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In that, God just told the plan that a Savior will come and he will win. The plan, the anticipation, the coming, it started right from the beginning. 
God never turned his back on creation. Right when Adam and Eve took the bite of that fruit of the tree of knowledge, in verse 7, it says, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The first question recorded was at the beginning from God the Father. After the biggest mistake that happened that would change life as we know it, the first question was, where are you? That question, he did not say, you screwed up. You messed up. You suck. He said, no, no, no. Where are you? It was out of his care for us that he called out. Isn't that amazing? So what we're going to do here is that we are going to see God's heart through the whole of the Old Testament. The coming, the waiting. Since it started in the very beginning with Genesis, God had a plan. And I'm going to touch on a few stories of the Old Testament, how you're going to start seeing, I'm hoping to start seeing, God's promises of hope come through the story. Okay? This Christmas story is a celebration of Jesus Christ being born. And the Christmas story is also the stories leading up to the birth, the stories of hope, the anticipation, and God's promises being fulfilled. We see it in stories as far back as Adam and Eve, which I just touched on, but also with Noah and the ark. God looked at the world he had made, and his heart was broken so broken because he loved the people so much and his heart broke because the people did not love him back. His love for people was unstoppable and he gave a choice for safety and rescue. Just like today, we have a choice, safety and rescue. And just like today, people still choose yes or no. He gave a hope and people still chose to ignore God. Even when the waters rose, people still chose to act out of rebellion But Noah and his family took the rescue and they were saved. God's love saves. The plan continues to unfold. If we look into Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, we see Abram, God making a promise to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Was Abram perfect? No. Did he have it all together? No. He made mistakes just like me and just like us. God saw his heart. Abram obeyed and came as he was, doing the best he could do. God said that other nations on earth would be blessed through Abram's descendants. Israel, the nation that would come from Abram, was to follow God and influence those who came in contact. Through Abram's family tree, Jesus Christ was born to save. God was providing a hope, the anticipation of a Savior who was coming. We later see Abram now being called Abraham and his wife Sarah. They heard God's promise under the stars. They were outside stargazing. That's one thing I can say about New Brunswick. My goodness, the stars. You can see the stars here, 
BC, lights everywhere, can't see. You have to go way out to find them. Here, we open our door and we can see them. You can see God's promises right there. And God said, they heard, or sorry, they heard God say that his promises of love would live on through their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. But get this, Sarah had no kids when this promise came. She was so old, but she had a child, Isaac. God gave hope that after awaiting, a son will be born. Can you see that? There's a reflection. A son will be born after awaiting. God gave hope. And in 21.6 of Genesis, Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. God brings hope in the waiting and hope in the unknown. Whatever situation you are waiting for, whatever unknown you are sitting in, God brings hope. He answers your prayers. He hears them. The story of Joseph, so it's still continuing. God had, or Joseph had 11 brothers, and all who were jealous of him wanted to make him disappear. They sold Joseph to complete strangers. Imagine the hurt that Joseph had being denied family, being denied a home. Even when family feels like a mess, God can bring hope. He can make, a ba- make bad things turn into good things. Joseph trusted in God and in the end was reunited with his brothers and his father. Many generations after Joseph, a baby would be born in a manger, wrapped in rags, and he too would grow up would be betrayed by his friends. But God would take that great sadness and make it into the greatest gift, who's Jesus, hope of the world. Another story, Rahab, which you may be familiar with, a prostitute who lived in the town wall, and those walls were built so tall to keep God's people out. But she was used by God, and her life was forever changed. Rahab became the great-great-grandmother of King David. Rahab is related to Jesus. Rahab opened her door, and in doing so, she came as she was, and God transformed her life. She opened a door, mess and all, and God transformed her. There are stories after stories in the Old Testament showing of God's promises, the hope, the coming, the anticipation that Jesus is coming. We see the stories in Jonah and Esther and Zechariah and Sarah and so on. Through these stories and many more, no one was perfect. There were liars. There were drunks. There were prostitutes. There was disbelief and unbelief and all that to say we were all sinful, but chose God to work in their lives. They believed in God who cared and gave hope. They came as they were and let God do the transforming of lives, continuing of the unfolding of the perfect plan to bring people home, the original home that God first created. I don't know. I think that's pretty awesome. Just seeing the flow through, seeing and reading the stories of the Old Testament that you can see that God loves. God loves. There's mess up. Okay, let's change that mess up. Let's transform. God loves there's hope. I'm thankful that God calls us. We as sinners, all of us mess up. All of us. And we are, and God still calls out to us, where are you? Where are you? To come as we are, we do not have to change who we are before we meet him. 
We do not have to change who we are before we walk through the doors of a church. He says, come as you are. God does the changing. We just need to come to him. So culture, I'm going to change here a little bit this way. Culture and style changes, right? Fashion changes. When I was a child, my mom wore mom jeans. Mom jeans are cool now. It was a, it, it's a little bit crazy to see that. Fashion and culture is always changing. And to keep up with it, you just got to go with it. There's mom jeans, there's crop tops, there's plaid, there's no plaid, there's oversized sweats, there's skinny jeans, there's hats. Clothing does not block us, thankfully, from having a relationship with God, the creator of the world who called out, where are you? Who says, here is my son, who says, I love you. I remember as a little girl, I grew up in church my whole life, and I remember as a little girl getting ready for church that there was an expectation that I had to follow. I needed to wear my Sunday best. Each Saturday night, I would have my clothes set out and ready. I'd have my black strap shiny shoes. I would have my white socks that you'd fold down. It was all frilly on the outside. I call them my poofy socks. I would have a choice of dresses to wear that my mom would make me, and I could not wear any other dress except for the dresses my mom would make me. They were very poofy with crinoline underneath. I was a very poofy dress-wearing child on Sundays only. Any other day, it was jogging pants, overalls, and jeans. But Sundays was my Sunday best. I would have a matching purse with my dress. I have pictures. I have a matching purse where my Bible would go in it and my little ponies for entertainment while I was bored at church, waiting for kids' church to begin. I was ready for church. I would wait patiently most Sundays. Other days, I would be really, really trying to hurry up my mom to get my hair up in the tightest ponytail possible with a back comb of my bangs and curling iron and hairspray six inches tall. I would wear my mom's lipstick and her perfume, and only then when I had that perfume on, I would be ready for church. And I would go with that expectation that I look good and I'm ready to smell good, even though, oh, man, that's way too much. I had that expectation put on me. And I remember asking one of my friends who lived next door if she would like to come to church with me one day. And she looked at me and goes, I don't have a Sunday dress. And at that age, I went, just got to buy one. And that was it. As a child, that expectation was put on me. Today, this is my Sunday best. And this will be probably what I will wear tomorrow. And I don't have, and I don't want to have a a Sunday Caitlin and a Monday Caitlin. And there's going to be Sundays where Brad's going to be up here wearing a hat, leading worship and speaking with a hat on because that's who he is. And there's going to be people who come through our doors where I'm going to be like crop tops and mom jeans. And I'm like, come, we have a seat for you. We need to come as we are without these expectations that people put on us, even when we don't even know where they come from. I could ask my mom, where did that come from? And she'll probably be like, it's just what we did. Well, this is what we do. We say, come as you are. I make mistakes. I mess up just like anyone else, but I promise that I 
always want to do my best for God. And may God always say, Caitlin, let's steer you this way. And let's steer you this way. And may I always be ready to say, I'm sorry, God, help me this, help me that. And I pray that my eyes can be open to the community where I want to see people the way God sees people. And it's a, and it's a battle. And I just say, God, help me see, help me see, help me see. Because I want our doors to be open. I want people to feel that they can be accepted for them to be able to encounter God as they need to. And not for me to say, mm, you don't got your Sunday dress on, but go buy one and then come back. Church, I have tattoos. I have piercings. That's who I am. And I feel that God says, come as you are. That he doesn't say, you got tattoos, go get that lasered off. Take off that piercing. He says, Caitlin, I have an idea. Here's what I think. Will you obey it? And I want to be, Jesus, help me obey you. Help me. Use me. Come as you are. I was reading up a review um, of churches. I was telling Kaylee this the other day. I found a review, not our church, but of churches on Google. And this one caught my eye. The review was rated one star out of five for a church. And uh, I clicked on it to read it. And this is how it started. At first, I thought it was going well. But after the service started, things went downhill drastically. A couple sitting behind me were emitting such a strong smell of alcohol that I could barely stand to stay in service. It continued to talk on about how their worship was and how he didn't like it. But I stopped there because what stood out to me was what was meant to be a negative review. I saw it as way to go church. Your doors were open and those people felt like they can come in a moment where they needed a hope, where they needed an answer, and they came in and they felt like they could sit. And I was like, church, that is awesome. And I was... It was me going, <laughs> good job, church. And it was unfortunate that that person put that negative review. But out of that negativity, there is a positivity where I think other people who are going to look at that review going, I can be accepted there. And I pray for that, that that could be that answer for that church, that people can go there, be accepted there. Let's communicate that our loving God is a God of hope and a God of come as you are. Let our doors be open to those who brush their hair or not. <laughs> Let those, those uh, young families come with the kids wrapped around their legs and they have not slept and there's baby puke down their arm and they're just like, I'm here. I made it. I'm here. Come as you are. For those who want to come as they are wearing a hat and they keep that hat on for the whole church service, I say come as you are. For those who are struggling with finances, relationships, separations, divorce, abortion, I say come as you are. God is here with arms open wide to embrace you just as you are, the God of hope, and we cannot stand in the way of that. I was recently told a story from a, a friend of ours who was a pastor, and this happened in his church. It was a situation regarding wearing a hat in church. There was a young person that went to their church, and he sat very close up with his mom, and he had a hat on. And someone from the church went over and said, excuse me, can you please remove your hat? And he did. No argument. But what later happened 
was that son then leaned over to his mom and says, I will never go back to church again. The story has it is that that mom has been praying for his son to come to church, and that was his first day at church. And that was his first impression of church. The first impression of church should be the love of Christ. And how that happens is by our awesome team saying, welcome to church. Come as you are as people meet in the lobby. Come as you are as you find a seat. We say, come as you are. As we worship and our hands are up and some are not sure, we say, come as you are. As the message is happening and you're wondering and thinking, we say, come as you are. There's no judgment. We say, come as you are. We need to understand that culture is always changing. And if the church doesn't shift with, with culture, churches will no longer be relevant and able to reach. But while culture is changing, we can rest in knowing that the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope in him, will never change. That is where the good news wins. Always. It works for all cultures, all people. It is relevant to all, and we need not to hinder that. We need to let God do the heart work in the transformation in people. See, God called out, where are you? To Adam and Eve in their darkest of times. And God is still calling out to the world, saying, where are you? And the church is to be shining bright for them. We want to invite everyone home to Jesus, the perfect home, the home that Jesus was there. And he says, come. This week, uh, I was on Facebook, as I do every day, minute, almost, of my life, because that is my addiction. And I saw this post circulating on there, and it made me cry. And Facebook, is, it's Facebook, but this post, and I don't know who wrote it, I don't know where it came from, I, don't, I didn't even look into that, but the post that it was, it, what it said, it was definitely, I felt like it was saying God's heart so well. And I want to read it. But this, this post struck me that we know the hope. We know who the hope is. Right, church? And it's simple. And we need to keep it simple. We need to keep it simple. And you know how we do it? We open our doors. We smile and say, come. That's simple because God can do the rest. It's not up to us to judge people. It's up to us to love people. I'm going to read this post that I read off Facebook. And I want you guys to think maybe where you are at personally or where your family are at, where your friends are at. Put some, someone that you, maybe you know into this post. I'm going to read it. It says, you got hammered at the bar on Saturday but came to church on Sunday. You can sit with me. You're right where you need to be. You're a drug addict, but came to church on Sunday. You can sit with me. You're right where you need to be. You're divorced. The last church you attended condemned you, but you came to church this Sunday. You can sit with me. You're right where you need to be. You've had an abortion, and it's slowly eating away at your heart. But you came to church on Sunday. You can sit with me. You're right where you need to be. You've been unfaithful 
to your spouse, but came to church on Sunday, you can sit with me. You're right where you need to be. God is the God of hope. From the beginning, he created his perfect creation, the perfect home. His plan is to redeem his people and that there is hope for all. And since there's hope for all, we need to offer that hope. We need to show that hope. We cannot block that hope. The story of Rahab, she was a prostitute. There was considered no hope for her. She had a huge life change. The door she opened and she was willing. God encountered her in that moment. If our doors were open, people can come and they can have that God moment. Come as you are. Let me sit with you. You're right where you need to be. Church, you're right where you need to be here today. You're here. And God is saying, you're where you need to be. You're searching for me. You're seeking me out. You're loving me. Let's continue to do life together. Let's continue to walk forward together. Let's continue to have our lives transformed. Because God is always molding and always sculpting and always giving opportunity. John 1.14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. Jesus, is he's not flying around in clouds. He's not floating around somewhere. He made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. God sent his son, Jesus, to be born in a dirty barn, vulnerable and all, and he died so many years later for us. Unfailing love. And we have seen his glory. We have seen it through the Old Testament as the stories start coming, the promises that were fulfilled. We've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, the anticipation that a Savior is to come, then came, that we have a hope in Christ Jesus. Can we stand? I'd like to pray. Jesus, we... We say thank you. We say thank you. Can we just say thank you? Can we just express your thankfulness to Jesus in any forms of things that he's shown up in your life? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's even just you got here safely in, in a part where you're sliding down the road. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you that you've chosen us. We thank you that you created the perfect home for us. Jesus, thank you that you have a spot for us. That you did not say, no, you're, no, you messed up. Mm-mm, no, you, no, you didn't do that one right. God, thank you that you love us to the point where you can forgive us so much. And Jesus, we say, we are here as we are, mess and all. And Jesus, we see your hope. We grasp, we hold on to it in the situations where we're uncertain, 
And Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you that we do not have to wish for something, to wish that maybe it might happen. No, we have a hope in the Savior of the world, that his promises are true, that, you, that Jesus is relevant, that the gospel is the good news that never is changing. Jesus, we say thank you that you have a plan and it's starting to unravel. And we have an anticipation of your goodness to reach and transform people's lives. Jesus, help us. Where we may have put up some walls here and there, God, help us to tear those walls down to have the concept as come as we are. God, you do the work in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus.